Hallelujah. Praise God. We're here to worship the King. Amen. Sure glad you're here tonight. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Matthew chapter 5. As you know, we've been teaching on discipleship. And I'm so glad you made it out tonight. Good to see you. Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't been with us, you can find, get it off of the, our website. And that's on the back of our bulletins and, and our cards. And uh, you can look it up and download it and listen to it on the website. Or you can get the CDs after service. But we've been on this on a few weeks. And in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up to the mountain and he was set. His disciples came unto him. He called his disciples. He saw the multitude, but to reach the multitudes, you've got to raise up disciples. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Last week we studied verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And verse 8 tonight, blessed are the pure in heart. Say that with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen? What a powerful, what a powerful thought. One of my heroes has always been since I was a child, uh, raised in the Southern Baptist Church, we were taught about Fanny J. Crosby, as we sung, she's written thousands of hymns and poems. She was a lady who was blind, and uh, as she was losing her sight, they would put mustard on her eyes, and it would just burn so bad. And trying to save a little bit of sight she did have, but she ended up going totally blind. But yet, she's written some of the most awesome hymns, Blessed Assurance, and What a Friend We Have in Jesus, so many others, and songs that have been around for hundreds of years. And I've got a DVD on her history, and she lived in the, into her 90s, and ministered in the White House and before Congress and was so mightily used by God. But somebody asked her, don't you regret that you've never been able to see? She says, no. Because she says, one day, the first person these eyes are ever going to see is my Jesus. The first person I'll ever be able to see is my Jesus. And I want you to go with me. The Lord just led me in a direction. I want you to go with me to the book of Esther, chapter 1. And you say, what are you going to get out of Esther? Well, come and see. Esther chapter 1, and as I was thinking, the, the pure in heart, they shall see God. And thank God for that day we are going to see Him, and we'll be able to sing. It'll be worth it all. Or we'll be singing, I don't know whether I want to dance, you know, that song that they, they sing, uh, Mercy Me, I, I don't know if I'm going to dance or kneel or cry. Who knows what we're going to do when we see Jesus. Last night we had our prayer meeting. Brother Bob was saying, man, the, he, he just was feeling the anointing last night was so strong. Prophetic word was going forth. It was just a powerful prayer meeting. And it's like you just, some are crying, some are shaking. Some It was just a powerful time. The Holy Spirit was just manifesting in different ways. But it's nothing compared when we, we get bodies that won't explode with the fullness of God. And we get those new transformed bodies to where we can be in the presence of God and be able to see all that He is. But at the same time, we want to be disciples to where we are able, to, like Moses, to speak to God to Jesus face to face. How many want a relationship? I mean, if Moses in the Old Covenant could speak to God face to face, how much more can we get to that place to where we can speak to God and hear God speak to us face to face and be transformed in His image? But he says, it's going to be blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and, and one of the things I want to share with you before I read here in Esther chapter 1, when the Queen, queen of Sheba heard 
for all the wisdom and all the blessings of King Solomon and all of his wisdom. She had to leave her country and she had to bring gifts and she wanted to come to see if everything she had heard was true. She had to come to see if everything she had heard was true. She had to come to see if everything she had heard was true. There are a lot of believers who hear, but they never go to the throne to see if everything that they hear is true. Everything that is in the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything written in that Word is the same revelation and a part of God as God's always been. The thing about it is, many times, is we sit down and we hear it. But we don't ever wonder beyond that if all these things we hear, is it truly, really true? Is God really like that? Is that really the character and the heart and the nature of God? And that's why he's talking about the pure in the heart. They shall see God. They shall see Him face to face. And the Queen of Sheba, she didn't only admire King Solomon. She admired those who were able to go in and out of His presence. When Jesus is lifted up and His people are the type of people who go in and out of His presence, the world is not only going to stand in awe of King Jesus, but they're going to stand in awe of those who are able to go in and out of His presence. That's you and I. It's not just the awesomeness of our Savior. It's the awesomeness of our Savior in us that makes the people say, wow, they really are True born-again believers. There really are believers who are willing to go to jail because they love the Lord so much that it doesn't matter what price it is. We will not stand back. We will not back away from the Word and we will not back away from righteousness. And it's better to obey, as they said in the book of Acts, it's better to obey God than to obey man. And when you walk in His presence, the things you have to go through, the things you have to confront, the things that we may go through... It's nothing comparison when we get to see God face to face. And so when, when I saw that in King Solomon, you can read it there. I believe it's First uh, Kings chapter 10, something like that. Maybe Second Kings chapter 10. But we're right here in Esther. And it's kind of the same thing. And I want you to see this. In Esther chapter 1, verse 13, the king had wanted his wife. He got drunk and he wanted to show his wife off because she was pretty and had some nice clothes. So he called her in and she says, just tell him to hold his breath until I get there. That's the redneck version. <laughs> hey, woman, King wants to see you. Tell him to hold his breath till I get there. <laughs> anyway, King says, I ain't holding my breath for nobody. Go drag her over here. No, it says in verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all, look, toward all that knew the law and judgment. And the next Unto him, and they mentioned the names of these people, seven princes of Persia and Medea. I wonder that where Medea got her name. Which saw, look at this now, which saw the king's face. Which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. And he asked what should be done to this queen in verse 16. Uh, they answered the king and the princess, and, the, and it goes on to say that the queen uh, have done not done wrong to the king only, but also to the princess. I was, I was meditating on that. Now, this is something. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When the king had a matter, or, or he had to make a judgment, he had, he had to make a decision on something, he had those 
that would, could come in and see His face. These seven were able to come in any time they wanted to. They were even closer to the king than his own wife, the queen. The queen had to have permission to go before the king. But these seven princes, the wisest of the land, could go in before the king any time. And I was thinking about the, the, uh, work, the uh, wise men around Solomon. I was thinking about these guys. They represent you and I. That we can go before the face of God anytime. And isn't it something that if you study the Word of God, that it said that God spoke to Moses face to face, and if you follow all that through, that the tabernacle was outside of the camp, but also was Moses' tent. And Moses would go every day and speak to God face to face as a friend. And isn't it something that you and I have this privilege and this opportunity that when we walk in purity of heart, which has a lot to do with us surrendering our will for His will, that's what purity has a lot to do with. Character, integrity. When we surrender our will to God, we are called, we're as one of these chosen who can go in and out of the presence of God any time we want to. And God and Moses would converse. Moses, God just wouldn't say, I'm going to do this. Or if he would say, I'm going to do this, Moses would talk him out of it. They would converse as friends. And isn't it something that if we could grow to that type of relationship and that quality of a discipleship, that we could be like these wise men, go in and out of the atmosphere of God so much that there is a continual conversation and relationship of intimacy growing between us and God, knowing the Father that intimately. And what was interesting, that when they had made their decision, the princess says, King, what she did to you, she didn't only do to you. We're so close and intimate. We're so identified together as a crew that what, they, what she did to you, she also did to us. And if we could get that close in relationship with the Father, because Jesus says, when they do it unto you, they do it unto me. And we could have that type of relationship, that intimacy with the Father as kings and priests. And this word purity has to do with the word priest. It has to do with the, the, the laver, the, the, uh, the labor that was in the holy in the, uh, tabernacle that the priest would wash themselves before they would go into do service before the, uh, the altar for the, on behalf of the people. That if we would keep ourselves pure and, and we would walk before God, it says, we shall see God. And then that means whoever blesses you, I bless. And whoever curses you, I curse. That type of intimacy that we see here, that the princes were saying, she's just not coming against you. The world is not just attacking the church. They're really attacking Jesus. And when somebody at your job or somebody you're working with or something that you're going through, when they attack Jesus, they're attacking you. And when they attack you, they're attacking Jesus. When they kill those babies. They're touching the very apple of God's heart. When they're coming against Israel, they're touching the very apple of God's heart. So we see here the importance of continually standing before God unashamed. And the Bible speaks about one day in, in the book of John. It says, now little children abide in him. And when he appears, we have this confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. First John 2.28. 1 John 2.28, we have this confidence that if we keep ourselves pure, if we keep working in the areas we're going to study tonight in sanctification, 
then we will be unashamed at His coming. I don't know. I, I know about you. you. None of us wants to be ashamed at His coming. We want to be so ready to see Him. We want to be so ready to walk before His presence. We want to see, be so ready to face Him. And, and they say, hey, everybody's going to the judgment seat now. Hey, let's go! You know, when they used to say, we're going to the principal's office, you never was nervous unless you knew you were guilty of something. <laughs> huh? Sometimes it's so funny. I tell people, I say, I want to see you in my office. And they go ask somebody on staff, they go, am I in trouble? <laughs> no, I got a birthday card for you. I, it's, it's something good. And people start going, well, I must be in trouble. No, the office doesn't mean you're in trouble unless your conscience has something against you. When that trumpet sounds, we ought to be jumping saying, I want to be first! Unless our consciences are telling us, boy, everybody's going to know about me now. I'm going to be naked in front of everybody. All that I've ever done, all that I've ever said that has not been put under the blood, now everybody's going to know about it. I want to be the last in line. Last name doesn't start with C. It really starts with a Z. Can I go to the back of the line? No, we don't want that. That's why we want to work in this area of purity. Amen. The word pure there, you can write this down, means without mixture. I guess the best example, I know that one of the best examples is Brother Sergio, when he says, you can't have 98% water and then just put a little bit of sewage in there and shake it up and expect it to be water drinkable. Just a little bit of contamination ruins a whole bottle of water. And this word pure means without mixture. Can't be of the world and can't be of glory. It means spotless. He's coming for a spotless bride. It means without contamination. Without contamination. It means without contamination. It means honest. Honesty. This something, the word pure means simple. Honest and simple. Aren't you glad we don't have to be big to-dos? A big to-dos? Whatever they say. Aren't you glad you could just be you and I can be me? Amen. A mixture of Spanish, English, Cajun. I mean, you name it. But you know, the message is real. And it goes on simple. Whole. Moving. Listen to this. The word pure means moving in one direction. Moving with God. Moving in one direction. It means, listen to this now. Write this down. Cleansed through the shakings of life. That's important. Cleansed. He says, we'll be refined as pure gold through the oven of fire, tribulation, and trial. And this word purity there means uh, a cleanse to the shakings of life. David prayed in Psalms 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It means to be uh, solid in character. Solid in character. I just got this email from uh, Brother Art. And it said, I hopped in a taxi and we took off for the airport. Now, this ain't about Brother Art. This is something he got in, in the email. This ain't about him. I hopped in a taxi and we took off for the airport. We were driving in the right lane when suddenly a black car jumped out of a parking space right in front of us. My taxi driver slammed on his brakes, skidded, and missed the other car by just inches. The driver of the other car whipped his head around and started yelling at us. My taxi driver just smiled and waved at the guy. And I mean, he was just so friendly. So I asked, why did you just do that? That guy almost ruined your car and sent us to the hospital. This is when the taxi driver taught me 
what I now call the law of the garbage truck. He explained, many people are like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, full of frustration, full of anger, full of disappointment. And as their garbage piles up, they need a place to dump it. And sometimes they'll dump it on you. Don't take it personally. Just smile, wave, wish them well and move on. Don't take their garbage and spread it to other people at work, home, or on the streets. The bottom line is that successful people do not let the garbage take over their day. Life is too short to wake, in the, wake up in the morning with regret. So, love the people who treat you right and pray for the ones who don't. How many of you know you've got to have character for that? Amen? Amen? So, we see here that that word pure means character. And the reward is that they shall see God face to face. The people who see God face to face, they're the disciples who will make a difference. Because when I come to the point where I know someone face to face, I know who I'm representing and I know how to represent them. And, and not only that, but people can feel His presence with you. People can know, wow, He's just not talking religion. He's talking about a relationship that He really has with the Lord. When I see Him face to face, my reward for living a pure life is to be able to resemble Him and be transformed into His image and imitate Him in areas of my life that are pleasing to Him. It means, it means, the pure heart means to see things the way God sees everything. To see things the way God sees everything. It means un, uncontaminated motives or intentions. It means a pure life that invites God to take action. Uncontaminated motives or intentions. Now, th- this is very interesting. And uh, I- I'm sure most people we have here tonight, they, they have a ministry in the church. I don't care if it's cleaning or the nursery or greeting, whatever it may be, there is a reward when you do everything from pure heart and pure intentions. I'm not doing none of this to be seen by man. I'm doing all this so that God be glorified. When I have to have the credit that I've lost my reward for time before the throne. Come on, church. That's what this scripture is talking about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What's the motive behind you wanting to do what you're doing? What is the motive? What is my motive? Am I preaching to live or do I live to preach? Am I preaching because I've got to make a living somehow? Oh, no. I preach for $25 a month for, for years in the jungles. I don't preach for finances. I live to preach. I love to spend days studying and meditating on the Word of God. I love to to preach and teach the Word of God. I do it for free. Why? Because I don't preach to live. I live to preach. What is the motives behind what we do? What is really our heart motive when I do whatever I'm called to do? Blessed are the pure in heart. Uncontaminated. Doing everything and seeing everything the way God sees it. Why do we take trips on the mission field? Why do we, we go here, go there? Why do we go to the nursing home or the hospital? Is it so that people can find out about it later? Or is it because out of a pure heart, we want to serve God? And we know by serving God, when you were sick, we visited you. Amen. And so the Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, justification means you're declared righteous. That your guilt has been judged and removed. Sanctification means it's a priestly duty. 
The pollution of sin is removed. And there's a process from the new birth till we get to heaven. It's to be, listen to this, the word sanctification means to be guided through choices and decision making in the perfect will of God. To sanctification. Guided through our choices. Totally built upon the will of God. What choices am I making? Are they my choices or are they God's choices? The Word says, in all of our ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct our path. You know, we wonder, Lord, where's the fruit of my giving? Where's the fruit of my prayer? Where's the fruit of my Bible study? Where's the fruit of me living all of these lives for you, Lord? Why, why don't I see more fruit of my life? Why isn't my family more together? Why aren't my finances more together? Why is my future looking so dim? Well, I wonder if it has something to do. How many times I did my will and didn't seek God after His will. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that word pure is that word sanctification, which means I've made God the ruler of my decision. He is my decision maker. It means to be confirmed in the image of God. It means that we're not only saved, but we are being saved even from the wrath to come. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. And there's so many other scriptures where this is used. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. Paul is writing the church here. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to these saints, and all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Talks about the church being sanctified. Hebrews twelve fourteen. It says, listen to this. It says, pursue holiness. Say that with me. Pursue. Pursue holiness. Don't give up and say, look, I just can't. You know, I'm just not a Mr. or a Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. It says, pursue holiness because without it, no one will see God. Is that what the word says there? It says, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Fast and pray. Bring the flesh under subjection. Leave the TV off. Get in the Word. Get some devotionals. I, I, here lately, people have been calling me saying, what type of devotion can I get? What other type of Bible can I get? And they say, I'm so sorry for bothering you. It may be a Monday, maybe a Saturday. I said, listen, this is no bother. You are calling me to ask me, what's the best type of study Bible? What's the type of, best type of devotion? Listen, call me 18 times. And they called me four times because they kept forgetting what I told them to get before they got there. And I did not mind. Call me back. Hey, it's good to hear from you. This is the name of the author. This is the name of the Bible. This is the name of the book. If you can't find it, I'll get my secretary. We'll order you one. But go ahead and get it. Why? Because they're saying, what type of devotion can we get? What type of Bible can we get? Why? Pursue. The Word says, pursue holiness. Because without it, you will not see God. Our main scripture, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Justified, yes, when I'm saved, I'm justified as if I've never sinned. But sanctified is the process from when I'm born again till I get to heaven. I am not perfect, but I am in the uh, way of perfection and so are you. Amen. So we see here that we will not see God or we will not see His favor. The Word of God teaches us that God is more interested in what we are than what we do. 
Amen. Write that down. God is more interested. The pure in heart means God is more interested in what we are than what we do. Hallelujah. What we are than what we do. What we are than what we do. I don't get rewarded just on what I do. My reward comes mostly by who I am. Listen to this. If my heart is wrong, my life will be wrong. If my heart is pure, so shall my life. Amen? One man wrote in a, in, in, in a uh, journal, According to the scriptural manner of speaking, the heart is not merely the seat of feelings, but our disposition. Write that down. He's talking about purity. According to the scripture manner of speaking, the heart is not merely the seat of feeling, but of the disposition. In other words, the heart stands for the center of the human personality involving the intellectual and emotional and the personal will of the life of the individual. This is why Jesus emphasizes the purity of the heart. If the center of the life is holy, then life will be affected through holiness. He who attempts to change the outward without due attention to the inward is doomed to failure. The personal awareness is a matter of moral responsibility. We must be consciously pure in mind, heart, will, and life. We must be sensitive not to grieve or to quench the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now write this down. In uh, Proverbs 4.23, well, in Proverbs 5.8, Solomon said... Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 and 23.7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, the Bible speaks about our heart. And how many of you know that our natural heart, and we've been visiting Brother Ray, who just had open heart surgery, and, and so many others uh, you visited and known. And, and you know, our heart is that muscle that causes all the blood to flow through all of our body and works those veins. Our spiritual heart works the same way. Our spiritual heart pushes that blood that takes all the things that could contaminate us or make us sickly and it pushes us out of our body and that, that clean blood cleanses the, the dirty blood. But as we read the Word of God, the Bible says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God, the, the Word of God pushes out the Word of man that contaminates us. As we take in the Word of God and we listen to the Word of God, it, it just pushes out those things that would contaminate us and hold us back. I heard a story about some British soldiers who landed on an island, and they were all cold and everything, so they started a big fire. And before they left, they had ended up burning the whole island. And it was out in the Antarctic. It was a real cold area. The island was frozen. So they ended up burning the whole island with the fires that they made to warm up. But a few years later, some, some people went back to that island, and by the heat of that fire, defrosted all the seeds that had laid dormant underneath the ice. And when that ice melted because of all the fires those men had started, the seeds had started growing. A few years later, they had, they had trees, they had plants, they had vegetation. The island became a total island of paradise in the, one of the coldest areas of the Antarctic. Why? Because somebody started a fire. How many of you know that purity will bring the fire on? And the seeds of the Word of God that have been planted. I don't understand Christians who say, I don't know why I'm not growing. I know why. The seeds are under an iceberg. 
I don't know why I'm not receiving more revelation. I know why. Because you're not allowing the fire of the Holy Spirit to purify the Word and cause it to grow, to purify the heart and renew the mind. I don't understand why I'm not seeing more fruit in my life. I know. Maybe about being frozen chosen. Instead of having Christians who look like they're on fire for God, a lot of times we look like those ice cube things you put out of the ice box and you break open and put a few ice. Mm -hmm. I wonder what we look like in the eyes of the Spirit. Do you know God is a consuming fire? And if the seed of His Word is under the icebergs of our flesh, if we want the favor to walk before the King, the closer I get to God, the more my fleshly ice starts melting. And the more I get closer to a holy, pure God, the more the seeds that have been planted in my heart starts to grow. And then I start seeing the fruit of what's been planted in my heart. Faith. I need faith. Faith is there. Why? I've been in the presence of the fire of God that doesn't allow anything in my life to grow cold. How many, these are, have you watched the news lately? These are not the days to allow yourself to grow cold. These are not the days to allow the Word. Where's the Bible? I don't remember. When was the last time you brought your Bible to church? When was the last time you took notes? When was the last time you listened to the teaching? When was the last time we allowed God to be part of our will? Do you know every time I make a decision without seeking God, I'm allowing an area of my spiritual man, my heart, to become frozen. Every time I rebel against the will of God, a part of me gets frozen. Every time I sin willfully, a part of me gets frozen. The farther I get from God, the colder I get. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God face to face. So the more closer I get to God, the more the frozen and the cold area. Instead of being lukewarm and spit out of Jesus' mouth, I want to stay close to Him so that there's no time for nothing to get cold and hard before the presence of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. What's their reward? You're going to see the face of God. And what you got inside of you is going to grow. Amen? It's to let Him to control our decisions of life. Our actions have a value only as we allow the actions to flow from our hearts. Our devotion and service to God can only be accepted if they proceed from pure hearts. Thus, the emphasis which our Master puts on the consciousness of our purity, only as the center and the control of our lives is pure, will the flow of our devotion and service also be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, it's amazing that the deeper and deeper you get into the study, it's not just about Christians being pure in heart. It's about all of us who are ministers and all of us who have responsibilities, whether it's the tape room or any other area, when we're doing it out of the right heart, you can expect the rewards of the glory of being in the face of God. What is my motive? What is my motive about anything? Be careful about a lot of those ones on TV. What is their motive for telling you, you need to send me $1,000, you need to send me $100, you need to send me $50? What is their motive? 
Don't, don't be hijacked by people's motives. But take watch and be careful with your motives. I've got to be careful with my motives. Amen. What is my motive for this? What is my motive for that? It's got to come from a pure heart. The word pure is from the, a word, uh, catheriatic, uh, which has to do with a heart purifying by an outside agent. Jeremiah 17.9 says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Matthew 15.18-19 says, Though these things which proceed from the heart defile a man, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, all these things are deceitful and they're in the heart of man. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble in this area, Brother Russell. Well, how far have you backed up and became cold towards the things of God? The farther I get away from God, the more I find out what's really in my heart. The closer I get to God, the more I find out what is in His heart. Amen, church. I can tell I'm winning a Nobel Prize tonight. I can tell you're eating this up. But it's the truth of discipleship. Do we want a big church where the motivation's all about being seen? Do we want titles? They're on this board. They're on that board. They're on that committee. They're an elder. They're a deacon. They're a this. They're a that. Do we just want to be a church where the motivation is being known and heard? Or do we know that our reward is getting into the face of God and seeing Seeing the glory of God like we've never seen it before. What is the motivation? Because you know what? When the motivation is pure, ten years from now, watch well where they will be. If the motivation's not right, you won't even see them. What is the motivation? What is the motivation of our hearts tonight? What is the motivation? What is the purpose behind what I'm doing or or what I say I want to do? Is it out of pure heart? Jesus said in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That word cleanses is a verb which is the same adjunctive as the word purity. As we walk in the light, as God is in the light, the purifying process goes on in our hearts through the application of the blood of Jesus. How many of you used to say that saying, Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. John 15, 3 says, You are already cleansed because of the word which I have spoken to you. Psalms 119, 9 How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Amen, young men. All men say amen because you're all young, right? Amen. So we see here the Bible talks about in Exodus 30, 7 through 21, the cleansing of of the word of God. I'll finish with a story by David Watson uh, who was in prison. The inmate wrote, This is my fifth time in prison and I'm serving eight years for fraud. I was dirty outside my body. I had never used to wash. I was dirty inside my heart. Lust, hatred, greed, revenge, 
anger and malice. Then the change that came after that I accepted Christ when he said, I was able to stop reading the dirty books now. I was able to stop using dirty words. And the greatest of all, I was able to love the people whom I had hated. For the first time in my life, I am free from the filth that has been inside of me for years. The truth has made me free. The truth being our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now it's amazing. And you see this anywhere in the world. A lot of times, the way people live in their homes resemble how they are in their hearts. You wonder, how can somebody live in such filth? But it doesn't take long before you start realizing the filth of the hatred or the anger or the jealousy or the envy in the heart manifest by the condition that they live. Now, some people are just lazy. Some people forgot to buy soap and toothpaste. Some people just don't care. But he said it all. He says, I was dirty on my outside. Because the truth was, I found out through Christ, I was dirty on the inside. And it's amazing that when we teach Bible schools in South America, we've got to teach the ladies to shave their underarms. I always tell my wife to teach them to shave their legs, too. Their husbands always like that part, teach those women to shave their legs. You put deodorant on, iron their clothes. If you're going to represent Jesus, you need to represent Him right. You need to look the part. Because Jesus lives in your heart. Your house, your yard, your automobile, whatever it may be, needs to be kept up. Because a lot of times when things aren't kept up on the outside, it just resembles that something's not kept up on the inside. Amen? Y'all still love me? It's discipleship. My name is Russell, and I'm your friend. I love you. But I speak the truth to you. In love. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet, please.